1 John 4, 1-6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, Hannah Arendt, Hannah Arendt was uh, one of the most significant uh, political philosophers and political theorists uh, of the 20th century. And she was actually a Jewish Holocaust survivor who devoted her scholarly life to understanding the movements that came to define 20th century Europe, movements like Nazism and communism and fascism. And she asked the question, Hannah Arendt did, what spawned these movements? Uh, How could a developed and progressive nation like Germany come completely under the sway of such manifest evil? Very interesting question. Her most important book was published in the mid-1950s, and the book is entitled The Origins of Totalitarianism. The Origins of Totalitarianism. And the book really is seeking to answer that question. How did a nation like Germany fall largely under the sway of Hitler and Nazi rule? She makes a compelling case, and at one point towards the end of the book, she says this in what I think is one of the most crucial statements in all of her work. She writes, quote, The ideal subject of totalitarian rule is not the convinced Nazi or the convinced communist, but people for whom the distinction between true and false longer exists. People for whom the distinction between true and false no longer exists. What she's saying is that those who fell captive to these false and evil ideologies are not those who are like just inherently more evil and corrupt than someone else that would just kind of by nature hate Jews or hate whatever, freedom. They're people who were unclear on truth and falsehood. I think that was a, that's a compelling statement. Uh, I would encourage you actually to read more of Arendt. She's got a lot of great writings. But the reason I mentioned that at the outset today is because I think that that concept ties in very nicely with what this letter has been teaching us and with what the scriptures as a whole are about. Those who are unclear, those who are unclear on truth and falsehood are those who are most prone to fall into darkness. That's what John has been writing these ancient Christians. And as we make our way through this very old letter, we see again and again, don't we, that 1 John is about distinguishing genuine Christianity, genuine faith from counterfeit Christianity, from counterfeit faith. And the apostle John, who's the grandfather of the church at this point, he's about 90 years old, He gives one test after another to these churches that he originally wrote to that is intended to help them, with the help of God's Spirit, have assurance of their own salvation and to be able to discern what is true from what is false. 
And in those early churches, this was a really vital issue because as we've seen again and again, false teachers had come up in these churches and had begun to teach things that were contrary to what John had taught, to what the scriptures say, and they had divided these churches. They had caused a lot of hurt. They had caused a lot of pain. They had caused a lot of confusion through their misleading and wrong teaching. And and it's also a vital issue for us 2,000 years later, my friends. If John in 80 AD was able to write what he says in verse 1, many false prophets have gone out into the world, how much more true is that now? Many false prophets have gone out into the world. So John here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, continues to help us, if we're Christians, discern truth from lies. And in our passage today, he calls that process testing the spirits. Testing the spirits. That's our theme today. I want you to hear at the outset, this is not merely um, an idea that we should have of like an intellectual debate with no real life ramifications. False teaching, John says, and all of the scriptures say, false teaching is rooted in evil. Indeed, it's rooted in the evil one himself. He is a liar. He's a deceiver. And embracing false teaching does real damage in the real world. It impacts what we talked about last week, for example, the way we love, the way we love each other or not. It impacts the way we think about ourselves. It impacts our, whoa, our view of God. It impacts our view of God. And and this is as old as time. Um, The devil gave Adam and Eve false teaching, didn't he, about God. He said, did God really say? Did God really say you can't eat of any tree? And so to grow as Christians, we must not be unclear on truth and falsehood as so many in 20th century Europe were, for example. We must develop spirit-led discernment. And thankfully, that's exactly what the Lord promises to give us as we abide in him and as he abides in us. Spirit-led discernment, testing the spirits. Let's look at these verses and see what God has for us. Three points. First, test the spirits, John says. Look in verse 1. John addresses his beloved, he calls them, his beloved believers, and he tells them, do not believe every spirit, but test. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Now, that probably sounds a little bit weird to you. It sounds strange to me as a modern hearer when I first read it this week. It's pretty plain, I think, that John is basically saying, hey, don't believe everything that you hear, right? Some things are true and some things are false. And you need to develop the ability to discern which is which. But interestingly, that's not what he says. He doesn't say, don't believe everything that you hear. He says, test the spirits. Now, why does he put it that way? Here's why. Listen, we live in a supernatural world. We live in a spirit-filled, spiritual world. That is the really real that lies behind the world of the senses and that influences and empowers the world that we occupy in time and space. And we struggle to to come to terms with that today because the reigning ideals of our culture are that what is real is the material. What is real is the sensible. What is real is what can be touched and heard and seen and tasted. One of the movies that I enjoy number of years ago is a 90s movie called The Usual Suspects, and there's one scene in that movie where the bad guy, whose name is Kaiser Sose, says this. 
he's talking about the devil. And he says, nobody believes he's real, and that's his power. He says, the greatest trick the devil ever, ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. That's the world that we live in. But John's saying spirits do exist. And more than that, John and the rest of the Bible say there are no spiritually neutral people. And there are no spiritually neutral messages. Our age has been dubbed the information age. We're in the information revolution. There was the agricultural revolution. There was the industrial revolution. Now there's the information revolution. I read this week that the amount of information in the world doubles every two years. The amount of information in the world doubles every two years. We have more data, more resources, more texts, more videos, etc., etc., available to us than every other human throughout history combined. I mean, how many of you have done home repair projects because you looked on YouTube? How many of you do car repair because you watch a video? How many of you, you know, diagnose yourselves medically, which I'm not recommending you do, but I know you do it, because you went onto some website? The Bible's saying that all the information that we get, all of it is spiritual. All information is spiritual. No information is neutral. It's either truth or it's a lie. It either corresponds with reality or it does not. And behind all information, behind every social media post that you read or write, behind every video clip, behind every song you download, behind every film you watch, behind every article you read is a spiritual influence, a spiritual power, a spiritual personality. Because we live in a spiritual world. We're constantly being influenced and led and taught by spirits. And John, as is his custom, says that there's basically two types. There's two families of spirits. There are Holy Spirit-influenced things in this world because he is absent. And there are evil spirits. Do you know that? There are demonic spirits and forces in this world. Paul calls them the powers and principalities in Ephesians 6 and says that those are whom we wage our war as believers against. So discerning what is true from what is a lie is a spiritual matter, which is why John says, test the spirits. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Critically examine, he's saying. Critically examine what you hear and what you read, especially on doctrinal matters, because there are many false prophets and false teachers, and it's possible for believers to be led astray. I think that's one of the dangers that some of us might face. We don't think it's possible for us to ever be led astray. We Presbyterians know we've got it 100% right, right? It's impossible for a Presbyterian to ever be wrong about anything doctrinally. That's the only time I get amens. So when I praise Presbyterians, come on, you charismatics, give me some better amens than that at some other point. It's possible for you to be led astray. It's possible for me to be led astray, which is why John says, test the spirits. Now, listen, a point of clarification really quickly by way of application. We can misidentify and mislabel false teachers and false teaching, okay? So just by way of clarification, false teachers are categorized by three things. They're categorized by three things. First, there's intentionality. That is, false teachers know what they're doing. There's malice behind it. Everywhere you see in the Bible, 
that is there. That's the first characteristic. There's intentionality. The second is false teachers diverge from the truth on essential primary issues. We'll see in a moment. One is that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, the incarnation. And then the third is false teachers have a desire to recruit. They want to sway and influence you, which is what was happening in these early churches. So someone is not a false teacher if they're incorrect on a really significant doctrinal matter because they're immature and need to grow into Christian spiritual maturity, okay? I know a lot of us have come out of backgrounds where there was false teaching on second topics, perhaps. We were under the influence of false teachers, but as we received better teaching, more biblical instruction, as the Holy Spirit led us into the truth, we moved from believing something that is false into believing something that is true. So that doesn't mean you're a false teacher if you were at one point under the sway of false teaching but have matured. Nor is false teaching or someone a false teacher, someone who disagrees with you on a secondary issue. Listen, every issue is important, but not every issue is equally important. So I'm not going to accuse someone who disagrees with me on Presbyterian church government or on the mode of baptism or on the timing of Jesus' return or on the ongoing use of charismatic gifts or on any number of other important but secondary issues as being a false teacher because false teaching and false teachers are about primary issues over foundational issues. And then there's a recruiting, a recruiting element to it. We see that all over the New Testament. They're malicious, false teachers are. And they want to spread their malice. And so John says, test the spirits. So how? How do we do that? How can we discern and be protected from false teachings, which have a real influence in our real lives, and from the evil spirits that lie behind false teaching? John gives us two tests. Let's look at the first one. Secondly, the Jesus test. The Jesus test. Verse 2, verse 3. The first test that John gives is actually one we've seen before. Back in chapter 2, verse 22, if you have a Bible, you can see it there. John wrote this, who, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And here in chapter 4, verse 3, he's even more explicit. Look at what he says. Excuse me, 4-2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So the first test is the Jesus test. It's a Christological test. If you want to test the spirits behind the given teaching, John says the first question to ask of that teaching is, what does this person, what does this teacher, what does this message make of Jesus Christ? When John says Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, he's specifically to what we call the incarnation, to the bodily, physical reality of Jesus of Nazareth. God becomes a man and retains 100% of his godness in Jesus. Jesus was not a man who became a god. Incidentally, that is what our Mormon neighbors and our Mormon classmates and our Mormon friends believe. And our Mormon friends are almost always kind and good people. 
but they are deceived because they deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and they need the good news of the gospel of Jesus. John's a bit more general in the second negative statement there in verse 2. He says, whoever does not confess Jesus is not from God. That's John's shorthand way of talking about the gospel. Listen, to deny Jesus is to destroy Christianity. Christianity is supernatural. It's about God entering our world. It's about the immaterial becoming material. It's miraculous. It's about miracles. It says Jesus was born of a virgin teenage Jewish girl by miraculous conception from the Holy Spirit of God. And Jesus performed miracles and demonstrated power over creation and over the spiritual realm. Jesus claimed to be God and was self-consciously going about his Father's work. And Jesus asks us to believe in him, things that normal people don't do. He says, trust me for your eternal salvation. And Jesus never committed a single sin, ever. In thought, in word, in deed. And Jesus died on a cross and he took on the wrath of God against human sin. And Jesus was buried physically as a dead body, not breathing, no blood moving in Joseph's tomb. And then Jesus literally, physically, really came back to life and he appeared to hundreds of people in his resurrected body and he ascended up into heaven literally and physically, and he's there right now in heaven as the God-man reigning over this world, and he's going to come back to bring justice and peace and to cast all evil into the hell of, and to save his church once and for all. That's Christianity. That's the core. That's the essential, the miraculous, the supernatural, God-saturated news. It's supernatural. To evacuate the crazy and the unique and the miraculous and the supernatural nature of Christianity is to evacuate Christianity. We confess Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. If someone doesn't confess Jesus Christ, that person, John says, is not neutral. He or she is not a Christian, but moreover, they're under the control and influence of the spirit of the evil one. Look at what John says, verse 3. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Do you confess? Do you confess that Jesus has come in the flesh? Do you confess Jesus? That is the heart of what we are about at Christ Church. And, and here's the good thing. I'm losing my voice because of that daggum football game. <clears throat> Kevin told me, stop screaming, Luke. You're not going to be able to preach. And Kevin was right. We might just end up with two points today. Um, here's, what, here's what the good news is. God, for thousands of years, has been calling people to himself through hearing this message about Jesus and all of its drastic, radical supernaturalism. And he's doing it again here, right now. If you don't know Jesus in this way, if you've never confessed, as John says, these things to be true, God invites you into that confession right now. And it's not a blind leap of faith into the dark. In fact, it's reasonable and it's wise. Christianity is credible and believable and beautiful. 
Jesus came to rescue you. That's why all this supernatural, radical stuff is so important. It's the only way for us to be redeemed, for us to be made right with God, for us to be whole, for us to be forgiven. Jesus has done that, and he can do it for you. He's completed the work, and he only asks for your trust. He only asks you to place your life in his hands instead of your own. And if he's powerful and good enough to conquer death, he's worthy of you trusting him with your life, both now and in the future. The Jesus test. It's the first test, the first way to test the spirits. Let's look at what the second test is. Our third point, the spirit test. The Jesus test, the spirit test. John tells us, here's another way we can test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Look at what he writes, verse 4. You are from God and have overcome them, that is, these evil spirits who lie behind false teaching. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So John's saying that if we confess Jesus, if we're united to Jesus in faith, then listen to this, guys. Listen, the exact same spirit that empowered Jesus' life and that empowered Jesus' ministry, and that empowered Jesus' resurrection, empowers you, is with you, has been poured into your hearts right now. Jesus, in John's gospel, told his disciples, in this world you're going to have many troubles, but take heart, I have overcome. I have overcome the world. And now John's saying in his letter that Jesus helps us to overcome the world with him and to overcome the evil forces behind the world by pouring into our lives the same spirit of truth that led Jesus. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it, very similarly in Romans chapter 8, the great chapter of the Spirit in the Bible. Listen to what Paul writes. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds... Excuse me. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit... To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Setting your mind on the spirit is equivalent of testing the spirits. The spirit helps us to overcome. The spirit helps us test the spirits. The spirit helps us discern. So, how? How does the Holy Spirit do that? That's a pretty key question. What is the connection between the Holy Spirit being with us and our ability to discern truth from falsehood. Now, there is a tendency, I think, there is a tendency among some Christians to think that the Holy Spirit will lead and protect us from the lies of the devil and from false teaching primarily or maybe only through subjective experience. Uh, Let me give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I was speaking with a person who uh, is a Christian in our community, and he's not a part of our church, but I've been friends with him for a while, and we were just hanging out together, and he was telling me about his experience in attending church, and he had said, I went to this church recently, and I just thought the teaching that I was hearing in the church was off. And um, I asked, well, how did you, what made you think that? And he said, basically, you know, I just knew it in my heart. I just felt wrong. Um, It it had a bad vibe, bad juju, bad mojo, Right? Uh, Now, let me say something. That is absolutely possible. That's absolutely possible. And that absolutely can be the Holy Spirit. I do believe, 
without question, that the Holy Spirit can prompt us and lead us, and that there is a subjective experiential element to our walking with him and to our discernment. But we have to admit, I think, I think we have to admit that it's also possible for our subjective experience to be dead wrong. Because we are also also impacted by our fallen sinfulness. In other words, you cannot only rely on feelings and subjective experience in testing the spirits because of the possibility of self-deception that lies in all of us. And frankly, those who are under the influence of false teaching can have extremely powerful subjective experiences that feel right and that feel good but are dead, false, and come straight from hell. So, that's why John tells us next that the Spirit helps us test the spirits and helps us overcome the world by tethering us, by tethering us to the objective, revealed truth of God given to us through his word. Look at verse 6. That's what verse 6 is about. John says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, when John there says we, and when John there says us, he's not referring to everyone. He's referring to him in his apostolic role and and to his apostolic message. He's saying, if you believe our message as witnesses of what has happened in the person and work of Jesus, you can be certain that you're in the spirit. These apostles and and the others, they were the ones that the Spirit had inspired to write the message of Jesus in the Bible, which is what we now know as the New Testament. And so John is saying here that the Spirit helps us, the Spirit prompts us, the Spirit leads us, I think primarily by illuminating our minds to know and understand the Bible. John is saying, if you know God, you'll listen to us. That's a crazy thing to say, by the way. Unless you're an apostle, we are from God, and if you listen to me, you're in God, and if you don't, you're not of God. I can only say that as a preacher as long as I am preaching what is in the Bible. I cannot just say that bar none and then pop off whatever I want to pop off, okay? So John's saying, if you know God, you'll listen to us. And that might as well say, if you know God, you'll trust the Scripture, You'll stick to the message that we've proclaimed to you. He wrote about this already in the very beginning of the letter. John, 1 John 1, 1, he said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. In other words, my experience of actually seeing what Jesus did, that is what we apostles proclaim to you, church that you may have fellowship with us and with the Father. So, so, we test the spirits by applying the spirit test. Does this teaching line up with what God has told me in his word as I read it with the help of the Holy Spirit? And remember, we're not talking about issues on which Christians in good conscience and in good fellowship can disagree with one another. We're talking about, did Jesus come in the flesh? Primary level issues. And even when we're experientially prompted by the Spirit to question a teaching, that prompt comes from our increasingly mature ability to discern if a teaching correlates with what God has told us in the Bible, with what he's revealed to his apostles. So so a persistent acceptance of the gospel 
proclaimed by the apostles and received by the church marks those who are from God. Let me say that again. A persistent acceptance of what the apostles proclaimed and what the church received marks those who are from God and a persistent rejection of their gospel marks those who are not from God. And the Spirit helps and discern just that because the Spirit works through the Word. So we test the Spirit's. There is no neutral message. Everything, right, has spiritual forces behind it. How do we do it? What does this message make of Jesus, the Jesus test? And does this message correlate and agree with what I read as the Spirit leads me in the Word, the Spirit test? That's how we know. Remember the the Hannah Arendt quote. Those who are unclear on the distinction between truth and falsehood are those most likely to fall under the sway of false teaching. But isn't, isn't God so kind to us, friends? He gives us his own presence. He gives us himself to help us and to lead us so that, as Cassie just read a minute ago, we will not be tossed back and forth by every wind and wave of bad teaching that we encounter. So thanks be to God that we have all we need from him to test the spirits and to grow in God's grace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Let's pray.